from KMOX Sports. Okay, boys, here we go. Welcome to the Gray Bar Sports Open Line. Those mid swings, and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Gray Bar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Here we go. Now, Matt Pauley on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. All right, man, let's get going here. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Let's go. On a Tuesday night, we do welcome you in to another Gray Bar Sports Open Line here on KMOX. Great to have you with us. My name is Matt Pauley. Have you for a full two hours tonight. We'll take you till 8 o'clock this evening. We've got a lot to get to. The Baseball Hall of Fame uh, voting results were released about an hour ago. If you've not heard, we'll go through that and uh, what it means for other individuals moving forward. Uh, we'll talk some uh, Blues hockey. They are in action tonight. We'll talk some uh, City SC. Bill McDermott is set to join us at about uh, 6 35 as uh, Mr. Soccer will uh, get with us. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what happened with uh, Miguel Perez being uh, loaned to an, a USL pro team and what that means for uh, really his prospects moving forward. Next hour, we'll do a fair amount of football, fair amount of Chiefs. Uh, we'll hear from uh, Patrick Mahomes during the uh, 7 o'clock hour, our weekly conversation with him from our sister station uh, 610 Sports. Speaking of 610 Sports, good friend Alex Gold is going to join the program and then uh, next uh, half hour or ne- next hour at 735 Jay Jaffe is going to uh, talk to us there is nobody who is more on top of Hall of Fame voting Hall of Fame credentials who should be in who should not be in he literally wrote the book on it and uh, Jay Jaffe's going to join us at about uh, 735 so that gives you a rundown of the show today I was happy to see multiple individuals got elected to the Hall of Fame I'm a I'm a more guys need to be in the Hall of Fame guy I I I just there's some people who want to keep it very small. And you know what? That's that's their right as a voter. If you're a member of the baseball writers and you've been a member long enough that you have voting rights, uh, you could take it any way you want to take it. I'm not a baseball writer. I'm never going to have a vote in the Baseball Hall of Fame. But my take has always been there are a lot of deserving individuals who are not being elected. Sometimes I look at the ballots and I kind of go, uh, one of the things I never understand, never understand whatsoever You'll have somebody who votes for somebody, and then they won't vote them for the vote for them for the next year. Yet it's not a situation where maybe a bunch of guys became eligible and they had a full ballot, so somebody got pushed out. Like I could, if you're some, you're allowed to vote for up to ten players each year. If you always have ten players on your ballot, and then two or three guys become eligible, and you think they're they're all Hall of Famers, and they push somebody off that you voted for the previous year, that makes total sense to me. I get that. But the writers out there who remove players from their ballot from one year to the next and they don't have a full ballot, it's not because they're voting for players for the first time. I've never understood that. Sometimes you get the uh, the voters out there who say, well, I'll, I'll vote for this guy next year. I'll vote for this guy next year. Yet, they again, they don't have a full 10 players selected on their ballot. Then vote for them this year. I, they're, they're not going to do anything this year that makes them more worthy for the Hall of Fame. So rant over the three players who have been elected to the Hall of Fame, and I think all very deserving, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Maurer. I'm probably most happy about Todd Helton getting elected. And I'll tell you, I worked in the Rockies organization for a while as a minor league broadcaster, and so I've got some <laughs> – it's a – I don't have a lot of respect for the organization because of the way that they do things, but at the same time, I have some admiration for people who have been part of that organization, some individuals, and and Todd Helton absolutely is one of those guys that uh, I have a lot of admiration for. And we were going for a while 
where it felt like anybody who played in Colorado was going to have their offensive numbers completely dismissed by Hall of Fame voters. And sure, does does the ball fly a little bit more in Colorado than other parks? Yeah, absolutely it does. But we never we never punish guys who play in in other ballparks that are good for their skill set. Colorado is the only ballpark where we ever basically punish individuals for having played part of their career there. And I think it's bogus. I think it's completely bogus. I think you look at uh, what some of these guys have done in other parts of their career and when they've gone to uh, played games in cities other than Denver and you see what their numbers are. So it felt like things started to shift a few years ago when they got Larry Walker in. I was obviously very happy about Walker getting in and it looked like they were going to get Todd Helton in sooner than later. And indeed, Helton is into uh, the Hall of Fame. Billy Wagner, this one hurts a little bit. Five votes short. Five votes short for Billy Wagner. He came in at 73.8%. You need 75% of the vote. 73.8%. Five votes short for uh, for Billy Wagner. Next on the list, it goes down a little while. Gary, uh, Gary Sheffield in his 10th and final year on the ballot. So now if Sheffield's ever going to get into the Hall of Fame, it's going to have to be through one of the eras committee as uh, Sheffield came in at just 63.9% of the vote. That's, again, there there was one report about PEDs with Sheffield. He was never super attached to him, but there was just enough smoke there that I feel like his candidacy is being impacted by that. You look at his numbers, that guy's a Hall of Famer. Uh Andrew Jones came up with 61.6%. I read something that maybe it was in the last year, year and a half. Maybe it was around this time last year when a lot of talk about uh, Andrew Jones uh, and, and whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. What's really interesting is go look at Andrew Jones's numbers and then go look at Jim Edmonds' numbers. And you can – it's interesting that Jones is getting 61% of the vote – and Edmonds was off the ballot very, very quickly. I'm not sure if Jim Edmonds is a Hall of Famer or not, but his career was very similar in many ways to Andrew Jones. So Jones should not be getting as much uh, votes that he's getting if if the same people who are voting just basically gave no look at uh, at, at Jim Edmonds. So uh, that's that's some of my early thoughts on this. If you've got any thoughts, we'll take your, uh, your we'll take your text messages. If you want to get in here on uh, how you're feeling about this uh, voting. You can uh, text into the program 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900, or you can uh, tweet at me at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you've got thoughts on the uh, Hall of Fame voting, who you'd like to see uh, get in, we'll uh, certainly uh, talk about that coming up in just a moment as we roll on with the Gray Bar Sports Open Line on KMOX. <laughs> America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Back at it on KMOX. It's a great bar sports open line. As always, if you want to join in on the program, you can do so. Calling, texting, tweeting. Calling and texting, 314-436-7900. 
314-436-7900, or you uh, tweet into the program at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air is how you get in uh, contact with me today. We're talking about the Hall of Fame voting. Again, if you're just tuning in, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, Joe Maurer, all Hall of Famers. Uh, for Beltre, he receives 95% of the vote. He was as uh, much of a sure thing in his first year on the ballot. Todd Helton got almost up to 80%, which is... Uh, which is remarkable considering how long. This is his sixth year on the ballot, and uh, this was the year that he got up to 80%. And then Joe Maurer in his first year just barely gets in at 76% of the vote. You need 75% to get in. Billy Wagner comes up just short at uh, just under 74% of the vote. In all likelihood, he's going to get in next year. Gary Sheffield, his eligibility is over, finishes at 64% of the vote. This was his 10th and final uh, season on the ballot, but he'll He'll probably end up as a Hall of Famer via the Eras Committee at some point in time. Uh, Andrew Jones, 61%. Carlos Beltran, 57%. Alex Rodriguez came in at 35%. Manny Ramirez at 32%. Look, there are just, there are voters out there who are not going to vote for anybody who is connected to PEDs. They're just not. So when you see Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez, each at under 35%, that's why. You know, I'm a big believer in you don't always have to agree with people, but you have to understand the road that they're taking to get wherever they're at. If you're a baseball writer and you refuse to vote for anybody who was essentially implicated in PEDs, like I, I understand that road. I understand how you get there. I don't agree with you, to be, to be very blunt about it. I would, I'd put Barry Bonds in. I'd put Roger Clemens in. I'd put Alex Rodriguez in. I'd put Manny Ramirez in. And part of the reason why is we don't know. I, I promise you, I promise you, there are members of the Baseball Hall of Fame who were doing all kinds of things, and they were just better at keeping it a secret. Or they were playing at a time where nobody was really looking around. And you go back to early, you know, before even PEDs were a thing, you're talking about greenies or whatever. I mean, there's always athletes, not just baseball, athletes have always looked for chemical substances that can improve their performance. And just because somebody got caught, I don't think is a reason not to put them in. Sometimes it's not even caught. Sometimes it's just you've been implicated in it or you've been accused or there was something in there like do we know that Barry Bonds used PEDs? Yeah, we do. But again, like I said, it's just it seems so unfair to me. And maybe maybe the answer to this is well, if you think it's unfair, the first thing should have been don't don't do something that was against the rules. Um but it, it seems unfair to me that there are going to be players who are in the Hall of Fame who did things that they weren't supposed to do and they simply got caught. And I, baseball was turning. They're, they they weren't looking into this. Baseball was all in on Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and the home run chase and bringing back baseball and finally doing that following the strike. That was that was something that baseball went all in on, and that was seemingly the start of the PD era of baseball. And I've just. I've never I, that that is the issue that if I was a voter again I'm not never will be. 
If I was voting, my personal conflict would be just that. That I know I don't know everything that every player ever did. And I know there are players in the Hall of Fame who basically did the exact same thing that I'm not that that's keeping me from voting for these other individuals. And I would have a moral issue with that. And I would just vote for everybody in. I, I would. That's where I would be. And people know. People know that w- when they played and what they were implicated in and, and all those sort of things, I just I really have a hard time with that. I'm also somebody that would pe- put Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. And maybe I'm just too nice. Maybe I'm just open up the doors and let everybody walk in. Maybe that's what we're learning about me right now. But I would pe- I would put Pete Rose in. I absolutely, I absolutely would. And, yeah, it just... I just I have a really hard time with the idea that we don't know everything that everybody did, and that's what's keeping uh, that's what's keeping some of these guys out. But for the that I'll criticize some of the voters on their ballots. I will. I hate the empty ballots. I've got a I've got a good friend. I went to college uh, with him. He's uh, an AP writer in Kansas City. His name's Dave Scretta. I don't I don't know what his ballot was this year, uh, but he does have a vote. He voted. Last year, he sent an empty ballot. I'm friends with him. We've I've known him for a really, really long time. I I respectfully disagree with. It. Like I don't understand the idea of the empty ballot and saying that none of these guys are Hall of Famers. Clearly, there are Hall of Famers that are not in the Hall of Fame right now. And he's not the only one. I just remember that because he's he's a friend of mine. He's been on the show uh, before. I. I kind of respect him for doing it. He didn't hide behind it. That that was something that's good. He got. I remember when it first happened. It was last year or two years ago. He got really attacked over it on social media, and I don't know. It got a little personal because it's social media, and that's what happens on social media. The things get personal for no reason. The, I can I can respectfully disagree with him. I respectfully disagree with a number of, of voters. I, I I was talking about this earlier. I've never understood the voting for somebody one year, not voting for them the next year, things like that, unless it's a situation where there's enough first-year candidates that you knock off some players that were kind of at the bottom of your list that you're going a full ballot. But if you're not going full ballot and you somebody's a Hall of Famer one year and they're not a Hall of Famer the next year, I've just never understood that. Yet we see it on an every-year basis. Um. I really appreciate, though, on social media, we've seen uh, there's a group of uh, people that track the the Hall of Fame voting. If you're on uh, if you're on social media, um, there's they do Hall of Fame ballot tracking on Twitter and they work really hard at it. And a lot of these writers submit their ballots publicly. I'm glad that it is it is moving in that direction where there's going to be uh, more just. We're seeing everything that um, we're seeing more of these writers and, and voters being very clear and being very transparent about who they are, who they're voting for. I think that's an important thing. If you have a ballot, I think you should be able to stand behind your ballot. You know, Derek Gould wrote a column and he he explained his ballot. I think I, I appreciate that. If you've got a vote, I I would appreciate if you explain everything and the good writers out there do that. The good writers absolutely uh, do do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit bummed. I, I thought there was a good chance that we were going to get four people in. Billy Wagner comes up just a little bit short. But um, 
Adrian Beltre obviously was a was a no brainer. Todd Helton, Joe Maurer uh, getting in, and uh, we'll probably see Billy Wagner get in here in the uh, very short uh, in, in the near future. You would think he's probably going to get in coming up next year. All right, we're going to switch gears when we come up. Uh, come back, we'll talk uh, some City SC. Our good friend Bill McDermott, Mister Soccer. Uh, we will uh, discuss with him Miguel Perez, his transfer, and what's going on with City SC right now. As uh, training camp is uh, underway, they've been uh, they've been in warmer temperatures uh, going through practice. But before you know it, the uh, city season is going to be here. What can we expect? We'll discuss that with Bill McDermott coming up in just a moment. It's Gray Bar Sports Open Line on KMOX. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. This is the Gray Bar Sports Open Line. Those bit swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. We do continue on here at KMOX. We got a fair amount of comments, uh, tweets, text, uh, also uh, comments on our uh, live stream via Facebook about uh, the Hall of Fame and whether or not more players should get in and what's going to look like moving forward. We're going to revisit this conversation uh, coming up uh, next hour. Uh, we're going to have Jay Jaffe on around uh, 735, but we'll get to some of those comments and things that were made coming up in uh, just a bit. But right now, happy to be able to go to the Quiver River Electric guest line. We will welcome on to the program. He is uh, Mr. Soccer, Bill McDermott. A lot to get into when it comes to uh, soccer. Bill, always appreciate you taking the time with us. How are you? Sure, Matt. Fine. How you been? Happy New Year, by the way. I haven't talked to you for a while. Yeah, Happy New Year. I hope uh, the New Year is uh, treating you well. Really wanted to get you on to talk a, a few things, but mm-hmm. uh, wanted to lead off with just the news this past week that uh, Miguel Perez had been right. uh, loaned over to a, a USL pro team. Obviously, people are excited about a guy from a local high school getting, having an impact with City SC. What does this mean for him and just his uh, you know, opportunity to develop even further? It means, Matt, I think that it was an inevitable. Uh, he wasn't going to be playing that much this year uh, with the addition of Chris Durkin from D.C. United. Uh, the city team had been looking for another defensive midfielder, if you would. Uh, so he wasn't going to be playing that much. Now, the good aspect of this loan to Birmingham is that the coach is Tom Sohn, who is born and raised in Major League Soccer, and knows every facet of the overall pyramid, if you will, of American soccer, with MLS being at the very top, USL Championship being next, and then MLS Next Pro being third in line. But this will be an excellent chance for Miggy to continue to continue to progress. He's not going to be sitting at Birmingham. He's going to be in the first 11. He's going to be in the first 11 on a consistent basis. So, long story short, Matt, at this stage of his career, this is the correct path. Is it a is it a standard belief that USL Pro is a, a step ahead of the like City Two and the MLS Next League? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is, Matt. There's just so many young players and so many uh, players who are just getting started coming out of college, going into perhaps MLS Next. But these uh, uh, the USL Pro Championship, St. Louis FC, was a good example of that. These are literally players from all over the world who likewise have played intercollegiate soccer and have tried the sport various parts of the world, but there's just more experience in the USL Pro Championship. And there's some heated competition as well. So it is a very good league. It's on solid footing. Yeah, when I lived in Colorado Springs, we had a team there. It was actually coached by Steve Trichu, who's now back in town. Exactly. Uh, and, yep. yeah, it was, it, it was a fun brand of soccer for sure. It really was, Matt, and it's a it's a decent overall part of the uh, whole economic equation for the sport in our country, and it likewise, like MLS Next and every other league, team, division, academy, wherever, 
just continues to add exposure in overall identity, continues to give overall identity to Major League Soccer in our country. So for Perez, they they loan him, so they still retain rights. What's what yes, is sir. what is the um, what is the path moving forward for him look like? Uh, perhaps to stay in USL this year, unless, as you just alluded to, uh, he is free to come back. He can come back as part of the loan arrangement. He can come back in any time. But we'll have to wait and see. He's such a young player, Matt. It's so difficult to predict these paths for such young players. But uh, he could get some notice playing a USL championship, too, so that other teams may, somewhere along the line, want his services. It's just too definitely, uh, too definitely too early to judge what's going to happen with his career. But he is on solid footing because he started in Major League Soccer, contributed when he came in, uh, showed that he was, uh, he showed every time he got in the game that he was ready to play and certainly up to the competition. But again, I, I repeat myself that he is, that this is the correct path for him at his stage of his career. So City SC, they've been down in Florida. They're going to spend some time mm-hmm. in California. They, you know, obviously getting into some uh, some warmer climates. It feels like the season just ended, and they're already back in, in training camp. It, we knew it when the season did end that it was going to be a short off season. But then once once you hear about them reporting, you realize just how short of an off season you have in the MLS. Extremely short, Matt. Last year, case in point, started February twenty six. If you got into the final. If you got into the final, it went to December 9th. This year, two days earlier. Everything starts on the 24th, and if you get in the final, it goes to the 7th. Now, however, Miami's going to open the overall MLS season on Wednesday, the 21st of February, and then everybody plays that upcoming weekend. They're going to play Real Salt Lake on the 21st. But, yes, this is really happening fast for St. Louis City. They've been in Florida. They are in Florida They're going to play Nashville and the Columbus Crew, defending MLS champs. They'll play them. Then they come back to St. Louis on the 26th. They're in St. Louis for a while, then back to California from the 2nd of February to the 12th. And during that stint, they'll play the Galaxy, LAFC, and the Red Bulls. Then a closed-door session against Louisville City. And then they'll pretty much be in St. Louis until the season begins. And then, Matt, it's just more, more action, continual work, three games in eight days to open the season. Uh, the 20th of February against Houston, that's a CONCACAF Champions League, the regular season, as I mentioned, the 24th against Real Salt Lake, and then again against Houston in Houston on Tuesday the 27th. So you better be ready. Long story short, you better be ready because it's happening. The games are coming already thick and fast. What – um. The Champions Cup, you know, you have different in-season tournaments, and, and different things right. are taken more serious or less serious. You know, MLS tried to remove themselves from the U.S. Open Cup, and uh, that's not mm-hmm. going to happen. How how serious does everybody take the Champions Cup? At the outset of the season, it's difficult to because you're simply not totally ready by any means. But again, to echo what I said earlier about MLS, this is just a chance for Major League Soccer to get exposure with its neighboring country, and Mexico. And uh, the days of the rivalry between the United States and Mexico, oh, yes, by all means, it still exists. And it was even heated up even further, Matt, when the United States beat Mexico at the 2002 World Cup. Not just a World Cup qualifier. They beat them in the World Cup. And that really, 
really heightened the awareness of the competition between Mexico and the United States. So this is a, a, it's a difficult competition so early in the year. But yes, every time you take the field with your uniform on, you take the game seriously. They, right now, there's two games scheduled, February 20th against Houston. That's going to be in St. Louis, and then they'll play in mm-hmm. Houston February 27th. I, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who are still kind of learning everything. Explain exactly. how the Champions Cup exactly works and, and how, what that beyond those two games, what could happen beyond that? Yeah, well, you can continue to play in that uh, as it goes on later in the season in MLS, uh, leading up to... <laughs> I'm sorry to confuse people leading up to the overall champions league, which is between teams in the first division of Mexico and teams in major league soccer. This is what happened last year, Matt, when there was a break between July 20th and August 20th. And the team was in top farm really playing well. And then all of a sudden this other competition comes up and uh, kind of took them aback. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, a goodly number of the farm players were not accustomed to a break like that in the regular season, in particular because they got knocked out of the competition very early and consequently had a long wait before their next game. So it's just more games, more games, heavy, heavy fixture texture. Uh, uh, the texture of the overall fixtures is really getting congested, and a lot of people will tell you that. Inter-Miami has already talked about that with reference to Lionel Messi. And Messi's kind of alluded to it, to it himself. He doesn't say much, but he will occasionally talk about all these games in such a short period of time. And truth be told, that's what happened to Lionel Messi. Yes, last year he was overused. Yeah, you, playing three games in eight days is tough if you're doing it in, in the middle yes. of June or July. Doing it in the first eight days of the season, it puts a lot of pressure on the coaches and the training staff to have the team ready to go right from the outset. That's why your training sessions at this stage of the year are invaluable, Matt. And that's why these games in Florida and California are so vital because you get a chance to see every player. And that is the sole purpose for playing games like this and against different teams, Nashville, the crew, LAFC, Red Bulls, the galaxy, you get a real diverse, diverse area of competition there. But yes, coming into the season, playing three games in eight days is very difficult and you have to be prepared for that. Therein lies the reason for playing in decent weather, really decent weather, uh, in these first couple early months. It's a, it's almost imperative that you do this and get as many games in as possible. Final question for uh, Bill McDermott, Mr. Soccer. They um obviously the playoffs did not go as well as they would have liked right. last season after a, a great regular season. What have you seen, whether it's the moves that they've made or anything else? Have you noticed anything that they've done to try to make them a more playoff-ready team potentially this year? Positively, Matt. They've addressed that right away, and they said they were going to. Uh, they signed uh, Thomas Totland. He's an international slot player. He'll be the right back now. And Nicholas Dyer, a uh, left back. So they were always looking to improve on those wide back positions simply because it's such a vital part of the game. By that, I mean, Matt, very few players on the field, if the system is played properly, will do as much running as the wide backs. They're from corner flag to corner flag. They're defending, but it is also, it is also mandatory that you contribute to the attack. Another player that shows this team has gone to make a definite significance in their first 11 they picked up Chris Durkin, 
they initially traded Jared Stroud and Lucas Bartlett to D.C. United. He's a former youth international player. Chris Durkin's his name. He has experience in Major League Soccer as well as internationally with youth national teams. So he'll be set ready to go. So right straight away there, you have three new players in your first 11 proving that you're ready to get ready for the 2024 season. He is uh, Bill McDermott, Mr. Soccer. You hear him hosting Extra Time from the Pitch here on uh, KMOX. Bill, thank you as always uh, for the time. I'm sure we'll be talking a a whole bunch as soccer season rolls along. Look forward to it. Thank you, man. Awesome. There's Bill McDermott joining us here on the program. When we come back, we'll hear a little bit from uh, Blues head coach Drew Bannister as the Blues are back at tonight. They are on the road this evening against the Calgary Flames. We'll talk through tonight's game and preview it for you in just a moment as we roll on with the Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. It's a great bar sports open line here on KMOX. My name is Matt Pauley. Blues hockey tonight. They are in action as they are going to match up against the uh, Calgary Flames for the Blues. Uh, they're coming off a pretty good win their last time out against the Capitals when they won by a 3 nothing score. And in that contest, uh, Jordan Bennington wasn't tested too much, but he uh, stopped everything that came his way. He is expected to uh, start in goal tonight. Drew Bannister, the interim head coach of the Blues, spoke this morning at uh, Morning Skate and said, uh, this is an important game tonight. Well, I mean, I think we, you know, we know where we are. I mean, this is an important game in, in the standings for us, and uh, it's an important uh, trip for us. So we want to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we focus on what we have to do here tonight, um, get off to a good start, and, you know, but, you know, most importantly, it's, you know, a game that, that we have to come to play. we got to be ready to play here tonight and, and uh, you know, put in a good performance. Drew, I know this is your first game coaching against him, but is there any reason you could see that you guys match up so well against him? I think you're 9-2 and two against him in the last 11. Yeah, I, I don't know what the matchups were before. I just know that uh, there's two hockey games or, or two hockey teams that are, are going to be desperate for two points here tonight, and, and that's at the end of the day. that That's all that matters, and, and we got to have uh, you know a certain level of desperation here when we start the game. The only real change in this game tonight is that uh, Sammy Blay is being reinserted into uh, the fourth line, and Bannister uh, answered what he is wanting to see from Blay as he gets back into the lineup. Well, I mean, if you watch the game, um, you know, that's what we need from our group as a whole, you know, to, to play direct, to, to get in on the forecheck, you know, be strong on pucks, be strong on the walls, uh, get to that. So, you know, we're not asking anything more from, from him than we would for the rest of the guys. Fun opportunity for uh, Jake Neighbors as he is a Calgary native, so he's back home playing. I mean, I, I, I've had Jake in the American League, so uh, I've been around him enough to, to understand what type of person he is and what type of player he is. And uh, uh, he continues to grow, uh, certainly on the ace, but off the ace, he has a lot of leadership skills and, you know, <clears throat> Knowing him uh, from the Western League and people being close here and him playing at Edmonton, they know a lot about what type of character person he is. So it's the same here. Has he forced his way into more opportunity? I think so. I think some of our young guys have. They, they, they've, you know, played uh, to the expectations of, of what we expect from our younger players, and now they're starting to push for more ice time, and they deserve that. So while Blay goes into the lineup for a second straight game, the team is a healthy scratching Scott Pernovich. Well, I mean, uh, there's a lot of good things that we've liked from Scott. And when, when I came here, I wanted to get him in the lineup. And I, I think he built some confidence um, in his game. And he had a good stretch of, of hockey for us at that time. But I think over the, you know, when we took Scandi out, we, we struggled a little bit uh, in our zone just to close out plays and the physicality. And, you know, I think if Scott's going to, uh, you know, 
continue to improve his game, the defensive side. I mean, what he does with the puck, um, you know, is at times, you know, very elite in this league. Uh, he moves pucks and he makes good puck decisions. But That's Drew Bannister, and this is a Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX.